You're tuning in to the With a Camera podcast. I'm your host, Kristen, also known as Kristen with a Camera. If you or someone you know would like to be a part of this podcast, please hit me up on social media at Kristen with a Camera. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever podcasts are streamed. I'm going to tell you a little bit about today's guest and then we're going to get right into the show. On this episode, I'm speaking with Mike from Shoot Film Co. Certainly you've heard of it. He produces patches, shirts, pins, hats, you name it, he's got it. This is actually our second time recording this episode because the first time, only one side of the conversation recorded. It's like the curse of the podcast. I was very fortunate to make it just about a year of doing this before something like that happened. So in this episode, you're going to hear us talk a little bit about Shoot Film Co., like where he comes up with some of his ideas, how Mike brings them to life from a notebook to an actual product. You're going to hear us talk a lot about cameras and film and, you know, a little bit about thrifting and some other topics are going to come up in Possible Project, Fujifilm. Overall, it's a very great conversation. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast and... That's it. Now let us get into the show. Okay. <laughs> hey, good morning. Can you hear me? Yep. So I had everything all set up, but the microphone was not plugged in. <laughs> oh, there. That that'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. Luckily, luckily, we're technically savvy people. <laughs> I woke up this morning like, oh, I'm gonna get everything all set up, and it looks great because there's not like a tangle of cords everywhere. But I didn't plug it in, so that was the only issue. <laughs> <laughs> I was like wondering, like, does he know that eleven o'clock my time is eight o'clock his time? <laughs> yeah, of course, I, of course I do. Yeah, <laughs> it's so early. You know, like one of the things I like in the world that I worked in, like we worked with people across so many time zones. So one of the things that we always try to do was whenever we talked about times, we talked in their time zone. So like. Like if I say eleven o'clock, that I'm talking about your time zone, so you don't have to worry about oh, like oh, what's what's his time zone or what's what's this guy's time zone or or whatever. So, so I try to do that. I try to make people's lives a little easier. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to figure out time zones. Sometimes the ones that you think aren't because so for everybody listening, we actually did this once before, and I can see like the voice recording. <laughs> Because I'm on my Mac and not my PC, which is, oh my god, Windows had an update that took, like, days. It was just stuck on, like, do not turn off your computer. <laughs> oh man, of course, yeah. Yeah, this is, that was the practice run. This is the real thing now, so we got all the bugs worked out. Yeah, we definitely do. So I saw recently that you met up with some other photographers, one that I'm familiar with, Dan Rodriguez, Serpent City. I know that there was a beer and cameras meetup, but where were you guys? That was in um, that was in San Diego, California. So that was that was way south of me. I had to fly down to that because I'm in the San Francisco. I'm in the East Bay area of San Francisco. So I flew down to that. Um, the beers, beers and cameras. Who is this? 
uh, it's this collective of people that's led by Juan and Raquel Martinez. They just, um, you know, they kind of created this initiative a little over a year and a half ago to have a bi-weekly meetup uh, where they would go to a different brewery every time and uh, bring their cameras and talk about photography. So that has has taken off for them. And they were um, um, they had invited uh, uh, Take Kayo. Um, who people might know as Big Head Taco, and uh, uh, Take in turn then invited me, and so we all met up, and and yeah, I met uh, I met Daniel down there. It was super cool to meet him after, you know, kind of getting to know his work for the past few months, um, being introduced to his work on your podcast. By the way, um, your 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 first episode was uh, where I was introduced to him and his work. And I've just followed his work ever since. So, yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting him because he lives nearby, um, near San Diego. He works nearby and lives nearby. So he was able to come out and hang out at the Beers and Cameras meetup. I think that's a really cool concept that they came up with that, you know, biweekly going to a different brewery and talking about photography. Yeah, yeah, it's a great concept. You know, it's just it's all just an excuse to get together and build a community and get to know each other. So it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and did you guys do something else in San Diego, or was that like the purpose for being there? Was there like a convention or something? No, that was it. That was that was the purpose. Um, Take the the day after Take had some workshops that were going on that he was teaching, um, but other than that, that was that was the purpose of getting together was for beers and cameras. The week prior. Um, or maybe it was it was two weeks prior, but Comic Con was going on the big San Diego Comic Con that happens every year. That that was happening just a, a either a week or a couple of weeks prior. Was that where you had the Instagram story where you're like, "Oh, should I bring a fanny pack? I don't care. I have a yeah. wife." <laughs> yeah, that's 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 that was the one. You know, like whenever I go on trips, I've gone on so many trips where I've got so many cameras where I stress over which camera I'm gonna bring, and this was. Probably the first trip where, where I was like, I'm just going to bring one camera. I'm bringing one film camera. I'm bringing a little digital camera to shoot video with. And then kind of towards the end of my, my packing process, I was thinking maybe I should bring another camera. Maybe I just got a Hasselblad, so maybe I should bring that. So I started to have a little, a little doubt. So I was trying to keep it, I was trying to keep it light. You know, I was trying to not focus so much on what I was going to bring and just focus on having one camera and taking pictures. And I was thinking like, I'm just going to, instead of carrying a bag or a backpack, I'll just use a fanny pack. Yeah. Maybe you should like have one for shoot film co a fanny pack. Oh, that's, that's coming. <laughs> Trust me. Believe you me, Kristen, that's, that's coming. Limited edition, limited run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So imagine if you could only have one camera. Do you think that you could? I mean, in today's age, everybody seems to just have like uh, just so many cameras. I've spoken to people who've had 300 cameras, you know, like, can you imagine just having one? You know, that's hard to imagine. But but yeah, I, I can imagine having just one. I've got a Leica M6, which, uh, you know, I've always wanted one. Um, I saved up. I sold a lot of cameras and saved up for almost 11 months to get one and I finally got one so that's I feel like that's while I'm never going to stop looking for cameras and looking and, and kind of searching out that experience to 
handle and shoot more cameras. If I could only have one camera, that would that would be the one. That would be the one, the Leica M6. That's right, the M6. And, you know, I mean, psychologically, there is research that proves that when we have an item like that, so the Leica has obviously the history and, you know, some of the greatest photographers that have ever lived have shot with a Leica, both in war times and for street photography and other subjects. But do you feel like you're holding on to the Leica legacy? Yes, and yes and no. So, and let me explain that. Like, I, I love, I'm a history buff in, in so far as like when I hold a piece of equipment, I like, I, I do like, I, I'm a big fan of knowing about its legacy and where it's where it came from and and the thought of the design behind it. Um, but there's this um, there's this thing where where you feel like when you're holding on to that where where you you think okay now you're like a part of that legacy or now that you have to take pictures that are similar to to what that legacy shows us in popular culture and I don't think I'm I don't think I'm really a part of that you know I don't I don't consider myself a street photographer I don't uh you know I I'm a I love street photography and I'm a I'm a big fan of so many street photographers who I just I just consider them great photographers, you know, whether it's street or portraits or whatever, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. So I guess the answer to that is yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's just something interesting. You know, that's part of the reason I think why people get into it. So like, why did you always want to like a. So I'm a I'm a big rangefinder guy. Um, and, and so I just, I've just always thought that like, as far as the top of the heap of range finders, range finders go like in, in design, in engineering and, and, and build quality, I've always felt like Leica was top of the heap. Um, and I've owned a lot of range finders. I've shot so many amazing range finders. I've shot some absolutely terrible range finders and i've shot so many range finders that were in between um and i've always liked range finders over slrs i've always preferred that i like slrs plenty but i've always preferred range finders so but but like i said just kind of starting from uh starting from i guess lesser build quality range finders i've always looked at you know the one that i want eventually is a Leica, something that's going to outlast me, something that I might pass down onto my kids if they're interested in in this thing. Um, and I just wanted something that uh, would, would carry on further than myself. And the Leica definitely does. So many people, I mean, that's amazing when people do have somebody who passes something like that down to them if they're interested in photography too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... I think that's one of the coolest things when when somebody pulls out just an old beat up camera, regardless of what it is, and and they tell me a story about how their grandpa gave it to them. Um, uh, uh, one guy told me a story about a, I think it was a Canon AE one, um, how his it was his dad's camera and it survived a house fire, and I thought that was amazing. It was Dan Bullman actually. He's got a YouTube channel, and I spoke to him about his his cameras and. He told me uh, how the camera that his dad passed on to him survived a house fire. And that's that's awesome. 
Yeah, that definitely is. My great-grandfather was a photographer during World War II. Not that that was his, like, title for being there. He was a soldier, but he took photographs, and then he would develop all the men's film. He had a dark room, and, you know, they would all give their film to him, so he would do that for them. And I always wished I had, like, whatever the camera was. I don't even know what it was, because my grandfather was also... Everything was junk to him. <laughs> I mean, it could have been anything, but he didn't care about material objects at all. So, like, I don't know. The camera just... I don't know if they threw it away or what happened, but it's yeah. apparently not at the house because, you know, that just wasn't important to him at all. No material objects. That's interesting. So to him, it was a tool and absolutely nothing more. And that's it. And nothing, nothing to him had sentimental value. He did not care about any objects in that way <laughs> and nowadays wow that's like, pretty amazing yeah uh you just think about people and all the stuff that they have and they just can't get rid of it yeah i mean i'm i'm intimately familiar with that problem i, I i'm sentimental about everything that's that's probably one of my you know that's that's a big issue of mine is that i'll find a camera um when I go out looking or whatever and, and, you know, I'll just, I'll just kind of fall in love with it. You know, I'll, I'll, I will imagine its history. I will imagine the pictures it would have taken. I, I imagine the adventures it went on with its owner. Um, and you know, even though I don't actually know what any of that stuff actually is, um, you know, I just, I just think there's some real beauty to that. You know, with that said, I wish there was, I wish letting go of stuff was easier for me. Yeah, when I think about that kind of history, like um, who shot it, I have a Hasselblad as well. And that is the camera that I'm like, oh, who held that? What did that camera do before, you know, coming to me? Because that was infamously, I would say, more of a studio camera than anything else. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's that's what I love. I just think about, you know, who held it? What did they shoot with it? What uh, what did that tool and it is a tool, you know, but but what did that tool go through in the hands of somebody who cared about it enough to actually put down money for it and carry it around and use it, uh, you know, in the studio or walking the streets or or whatever. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned a little bit alluding to thrifting, going to thrift stores and finding different cameras yeah, yeah, that's something. It's just one of my favorite pastimes. Um, I've been doing it for years, and it's just one of those things I I, I happen upon. I was, I was. Um, this was many years ago. I was going to a, going from garage sale to garage sale, just a fun little Saturday morning with my wife and my then not yet one year old kid. You know, just getting some fresh air on a on a Saturday morning or whatever, and I found um, I found a camera and a couple of lenses at a garage sale. And uh, I, I was already a photographer; I already liked cameras, but I was not really familiar with any vintage stuff. But I found these lenses, and I thought that they looked really beautiful and really cool. So I bought them, um, and then I, uh, you know, I naturally I hit the internet and started researching and and learning about them and what kind of system they belonged to um and uh, uh i just kind of fell in love from there with with that hardware and the the amount of you know the different kinds of systems there are and the you know the the people that worked on this system and the company that made that system and um ever since then i just you know i, I would hit thrift stores there's a bunch nearby 
me. So I would just, you know, not quite every day anymore. I used to go every day, but uh, I still go every few days at a minimum. Um, and I'll just see if there's any cameras that uh, need to be rescued from these thrift stores. Is that where you found the one that's like a, what is it, a sardine? You have one of those, right? The 110 camera that's a fish. Oh, no. It's it's a one <laughs> it's a 126 camera, and it's Charlie the Tuna. It, it, it's shaped. So what is that brand? Like Star, Starkist? Sunkist? Starkist Tuna. So in the in the 60s, I want to say it was in the 60s, they had they ran a promotion where if you send in like five proofs of purchase and and two ninety nine in shipping and handling, they'll send you a camera that's shaped like Charlie the tuna, who is this cartoon tuna. Um, And uh, uh, yeah, it was just like a silly toy promotional item, but it's a real camera. It takes real pictures and it uses one twenty six film, which is a it's a cartridge style film which is similar to 110. Um, it's like a self-contained cartridge. But uh, but yeah, my friend Eric Keskis found that at a swap meet or a flea market, and he knew that I was into that stuff. So when he saw that thing, he knew that I would want it. So I uh, he showed it to me. I, I you know When I saw it, I told him, dude, name your price. I'm going to buy that thing from you. Whatever you want for it, I, I'll take it. You know, And, and eventually what had happened was I, I went to visit him in um, – in Eugene, Oregon, and he gifted it to me um, because I guess we we've been friends for many years. So he was he was kind enough to gift me Charlie the Tuna. Have you shot with it? No, I haven't shot with it yet. I have a roll of 126 film that I that I found with I think some old brownie or something like that, um, like a, an old Kodak brownie. So I have a roll of film, and I just have not yet loaded it up in Charlie the Tuna. I always see that camera. I'm like, oh, like I want that, but I would never, you know, I would never like shoot with that. I'm just like such a perfectionist and everything, traditionalist. Like, you know, I can't imagine. <laughs> and where would yeah, you I get guess... the film? Like, if it wasn't from that, does Lamography have 126? Uh, the so they don't make it anymore, but the film photography project, they. Uh, I they sell it, but I think it's kind of it's just they kind of sell whatever they can get their hands on. But certainly nobody makes that stuff anymore. Yeah. So that's one of the cameras, you know, if if you'd found that when thrifting. Oh, what fun. Like that would just be like such a fun moment. <laughs> it still is. Oh, but... yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I found a lot of fun stuff thrifting, but nothing quite like Charlie the Tuna. It seems like you find of a lot of a lot of Olympus cameras. Yeah, they're um, they're they're fairly common. They're fairly easy to find. I mean, they were very popular cameras. You know, everybody everybody in the eighties and nineties. So many people had an Olympus. I remember my sister having an Olympus point and shoot uh, that broke on her, so she was turned off of the Olympus brand forever because this this point and shoot that she bought broke way back in the. I want to say late 80s, early 90s, but but yeah, I'll find a lot of um, a lot of uh, Olympus zooms. Um, sometimes I'll find the one of the fixed lens, um, like the styluses, and a couple of times I found a couple of stylus epics. So those were lucky finds. I remember the last time we talked about this, we talked about Polaroid cameras, and then I was thinking why, because I was telling you the story about when I tried. <laughs> in New Jersey, it's like so hard to find anything at a thrift store because there's so many people that, 
I mean, you have to be everybody everywhere to get anything. That's literally what it's like to live in New Jersey. Even going to the grocery store, you have to beat everybody there to get something. <laughs> so, so I yeah. went to an estate sale and, you know, I was disappointed because I wanted to find a Leica and it's funny because I was like hoping because this is also Bergen County. So this is like a really ritzy area. So I was really hoping that maybe like I'd find a Leica at an estate sale or, or a yard sale or a garage sale. But then we were talking about how I found a Polaroid that I did not buy because I have a Polaroid that I love. It's the uh, Polaroid Impulse AF. It's the blue one. And I love that camera. I have no desire to get another 600 camera. That's right. It's the it's the dark teal one, right? It's like a it's like blue, but it's kind of got a greenish hue to it. Yeah, I love that camera. <laughs> now, what is it that you like about that camera? What 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 does it for you with that thing? That it's blue is one. <laughs> <laughs> that it's blue, and I just I love that camera. So everything else I can never like be satisfied with. I have to buy stuff all the time, but that Polaroid camera, it's just blue. It's like so clunky. It says, you know, I'm from the '80s. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I've got one sitting. I've got one sitting right behind me that I have yet to. Um, I've yet to test. It's one of those. It's got. Is it? Is it one of those that has, like that? It's like an autofocus system, but it uses sound waves. Is that the thing? It's got like a gold, what looks like a speaker in front, and it's got like gold behind the speaker grill. Yeah, Are we like talking about the same thing? Sonar, sonar, so sonar. sonar. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I, I think I I assume it uses like sound waves to to grab autofocus. I don't know. And it's just perfect though. It's like a perfect shot every time with the Polaroid cameras. At least that one because it is autofocus, the Impulse mm -hmm. AF. And uh, you know, impossible project, boo. <laughs> <laughs> You know. Yeah, I I know you've got you've got some historical issues with them involving some some stock, right? Like them just kind of not delivering on some product or whatever. Yeah, they oversold, and I was really disappointed. And you know, um, they could have monitored their website better, or maybe not um, sold things that they didn't have, because that happened to a lot of people. I wasn't the only person, but their customer service, like the resolution, was just like nothing. Like oh. I don't even remember. I wrote a whole blog post about it, and they were kind of like, "Could you not do that?" <laughs> they actually like, responded. Oh, no. to your, yeah, they responded. Like, oh, we to saw your blog. Your blog. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so you were one of 13 people who read my blog. Wow, <laughs> you know, that's like, amazing. Yeah, but uh, I was upset, and a lot of people are upset with them. I don't know, like, what it is. I was just. I was just like, oh, man, I thought I was getting, like, 20 packs of film, and I bought them. Like, I was going to shoot Impossible Project all summer, and then it was just like, oh, there's actually no stock of that. You're not going to get any deal at all. And I can't even remember. It was, like, the red film. And, you know, you got to think logically. Like, what would I have really done with 20 packs of the red duochrome film? Would I really have shot that, you know, and had a great time all year shooting that? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be I'll be honest. I've I've bought so little impossible project. I mean, I I root for those guys just because they're in the film business and they want to be in the film business. Um but I I'm just not the the biggest fan of of instant film. Um so uh 
So, yeah. Well, their market, like their market is not us. That's the, um, you know, the, it's to like artsy people because they have the Keith Haring film and stuff like, mm -hmm. you know, I guess you could say hipster, I guess. But like, it's just not the market of people who love film and believe in film. And it's just we're not the target market. So that's. You know, they're very, they won't even respond. I'll be like, I'll tweet like, oh, I'm going to shoot some impossible projects today. And where in the past they would have like liked it or paid attention to it, they won't even respond to anything. Huh. That's really, that's a really interesting insight. I'm just not cool enough, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. I mean, I do, you know, I do want to shoot some instant. Um, I've got a bunch of instant cameras I found. I've, I've gotten a, um. It's not impossible. It's a lamography. It's one of those lamography instant auto mats that they that they kickstarted, I think, late last year. And um, you know, another company that I want to uh, I want to root for them and I want to support them because they're in the film business. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's just instant film is not where my heart is at the moment. Yeah, and mini Fujifilm mini insects kills me. Those little itty bitty pictures kill me. Like some people love that, I don't like. <laughs> I'd rather it, have, you know, it's wide. the size. Yeah, it's, it's the size that okay. Because I've actually never shot one. Like, how big are they? So small. They compare it to the size of a credit card, but I never. Okay. I used to carry some pictures in my wallet, so they <laughs> are the size of a credit card, but um. I don't know. That just that didn't do it for me. I still have my insects camera, my insects mini, and a bunch of the black and white film. Because when that came out, I was like, "Oh, I gotta have it." <laughs> just like yeah. with everything. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Honestly, that automat, I I have not even opened the box yet. I um, I I I got it like in November of 2016, and it sat unopened for many months and then maybe just a month ago I figured you know what I should at least open the shipping box so I can make sure something is in there <laughs> so I so I opened the shipping box I saw that you know I ordered a couple of packs of film so the film was in there the camera was in there but I have not even cracked it open yet so I haven't used it yet I'll get it maybe on the year anniversary of me receiving it I'll crack it open and shoot some photos with it that's so funny, and I'm like that too, and I'll just have a box. Like, I'll just have an unopened box, and my grandmother will see it, and she'll be like, uh, I don't know how you do that. She'll be so annoyed with me. I'm like, I know what's in it. Like, it's a camera, or it's film, or whatever. Or even if I order clothes and stuff, it's just like, there's the box, or shoes. I'm just, like, not excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess that tells you something. You know, I, I started to feel the same way, you know, where – where I like gear, I like looking for gear, I like um, I like talking about gear, but you know, gear and photography can be pretty separate things. You know, um, there's been a lot of well, I guess there's always been talk of of like, uh, you know, gear does not equal photography, which I essentially agree with that. And you know, like does that whole does gear matter question, which you know, I'm 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 on board with the common sense argument that like that, you know, your gear doesn't make you a better photographer. Um, and uh, but but I think, you know, the, the gear is 
is still fun. But when you come across so much of it, um, you know, you kind of, I guess the excitement dies down a little bit and the excitement, you kind of have to find your passions wherever they lead you. And if it's like a new camera doesn't do it, then you kind of have to start looking, looking elsewhere. Then maybe it's like time to, oh, it's time to shoot some pictures with the, with the dozens of cameras that I have. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently as I've been like researching minimalism and thinking Mm -hmm. about, I mean, you know, I have cameras and I haven't finished the first roll in yet. And it's just crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. 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 I'm the same way. And, And it is, I absolutely agree with you. That's, that's insane. But then I'll get cameras I love, you know, like, so everybody pretty much knows I have the Canon seven and I just don't really like it. I'm trying to love it. I don't know. Like, I've had it for almost a year, and I haven't finished that first roll in it. But, like, in comparison, I got the Insect Square recently, and I love that camera, and I shoot that camera all the time. So it's just, you know, I mean, it's the internet, because it's not like I have really anywhere to go and test out a Canon 7. I was just like, oh, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that is a, that's a rangefinder, right? Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, like, a mount rangefinder. Okay. And I like it, but I don't love it. But I haven't really given it a chance either. I mean, it's like, I don't know. I have it on eBay right now. And if somebody buys it, they buy it. And if they don't, they don't. So mm-hmm. I'll try to learn to love it, you know. <laughs> but uh, Instant yeah. Square is a cool camera that recently came out. And that's, you know, the hybrid one, digital and film. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's basically a digital camera, but it prints out onto Instax, right? Yeah, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's a printer." It's what Instagram should have done, you mm-hmm. know, because they could have made a killing. You know, it's literally you take the picture and then you choose which filter you want to put over it, and then you print. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Some people are like, "Oh, it's a printer." You know, <laughs> you're walking yeah. around with a printer. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's fair enough. I think it's a, I think it's a cool concept. You know what? I, I what's important to me is that there's a physical, there's a physical manifestation of the picture, whether that's a, a an instant print or a darkroom print or an inkjet print or a negative. That's what's important to me, personally, about a picture. So if it's just a printer attached to a digital camera, I think, well, that's, that's fine. I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah, there's so many people, you know, who take all their pictures of their kids and meaningful pictures and they're all on Instagram and it's just like, well, what do you think's going to happen? Like you think you're going to be looking back at Instagram in 20 years and you know, you won't have anything physical. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's that's one of my biggest actually that is the biggest motivator of me of why I shoot film and why I love film out of the many reasons is, is that there's a physical manifestation. You know, there's a negative or a slide that exists physically and you don't technology, you don't need technology to view it. You just, you just need some light, you know? And, um, that's my biggest problem with digital. Um, even though I love digital, I'm absolutely not anti digital, uh, but I have problems with digital in that, in that I feel, and people will argue this all day. I'm sure you've read many film versus digital arguments and I'm just, you know, I'm I'm out of that argument, but my my issue with digital is that while I could lose my negatives in a house fire, I will lose the negatives on on my hard drives. 
And I will lose the photos that are on Facebook and I will lose the photos that are on Instagram. And yes, I could back them up every year to a new device and back it up again and then back it up again and keep up with that technology. I'm aware of all that. But, you know, that's not that's not a real archival method. That's just, you know, that's just trying to keep a a cup of water full while the while it evaporates slowly over over many years. That was not a well thought out analogy, but I'm just rambling. But, (laughs) you know, but um, that's just that's just my feeling on on digital as much as I love it, as much as I love the technology and the convenience of it. That's that's my problem with it. I think a lot of people don't realize because they haven't experienced it. So people born, I don't know when they would have been born because I was born in 92 and I've seen it happen. Like mm-hmm. we used to use Photo Bucket as a photo hosting site and Absolutely. I can't even access. Like I would love to see those pictures, but I can't even access them. And then there was MySpace. And mm-hmm. again, where did all that go? You can't even access all the pictures and stuff that you had at one time. Right. Absolutely. I mean, luckily, I'm I'm a pretty obsessive um, archival person. I like to archive things and I do back up all my hard drives of the thousands upon thousands of digital photos that I've taken over the years. Um, but uh, but yeah, that stuff that stuff will will disappear so to, you know, to people that are, I guess, digital native who haven't experienced that um, will one day experience that. Like you said, with photo bucket that was in the news. That they're, I think it, they're demanding that people jump onto a paid plan to be able to hotlink their photos or something like that, right? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I know they want money, of course, like everybody yeah, yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't blame them. You know, I mean, they're they're people, and they they're a corporation or whatever. They have mouths to feed. They have employees to pay. So I don't blame them, but you know, it's it's like. Well, that's what you get for entrusting a service that can really, you know, it could either shut down on you or just disappear one day or you don't know where these these services and these technologies are going to be, you know, one or five or ten years down the line. Yeah, Flickr's another one. Yeah, Flickr's a huge, I mean, just a huge archive of stuff that, you know, I, I know people that they just put all their stuff on Flickr. And, you know, when that disappears, where's that stuff going to be? You know, I know people who only shoot pictures on their phone, which is, you know, it's such a ubiquitous device that I don't blame them for doing that because it's so easy and it's in their pocket. But I know so many people that, you know, oh, my phone broke and I lost all my pictures, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's scary. And that's super sad to me. Yeah, or they back them all up to the cloud, and then there's a leak in the cloud, and everybody's, you know, stealing your identity now. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I one of my I I don't know where it came from, but I, I read it. It was like a meme somewhere, something something along the lines of you know the cloud is just somebody else's computer. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's a scary thing. Yeah, it's just it happens to be one of those big computers, like you know, like Google. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's why, you know, when I see kids with like Instax Mini, you know, I think it's great for people who are into that. I'd rather shoot as far as instant, you know, something larger. Or maybe mm-hmm. Fuji could bring back the peel apart films, which they won't, you know, because the market for that was not what it is for Instax. Instax is what funds all their other cameras, like the X series. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I I know that people were super sad. I mean, I 
whenever a, any film gets discontinued, I'm sad about it. Um, and even though I've I'd only shot a few packs of 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 their pack film over the years, um, you know, I, I I can't profess to have shot a lot of that stuff. You know, when whenever anything disappears, I'm sad about that. I I. I don't want to see that from a business perspective. It makes sense why they would do it. The market is not there. Um, and so it's not, uh, you know, it's not their responsibility to support a market that is dwindling. You know, they've got, uh, they've got a business to upkeep. And again, you know, they've got employees to pay, but you know, I'm sad nonetheless to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Kodak is bringing back Ektachrome. That should be any day now here. I mean, not any day here in July or August, but, you know, within by the autumn, they were going to have Ektachrome back in at least 35 millimeter and then, you know, eight millimeter or 16 for movies. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about that. I'm I'm glad that they're bringing something back. I'm glad, you know, I don't um, I've. I've always preferred negative film, but slide film really does intrigue me. And, you know, it's got a different look to it. Um, whenever anybody makes a new film or releases a new film or whatever, I'm I'm excited about it. So I'm, I will definitely be buying a bunch of that stuff when it comes out. Yeah, me too. I'm definitely going to. I'm wondering, like, about the price point. I'm sure, hopefully, it'll be like Portra, you know, five for whatever, like 30 bucks. You know, I have a feeling it's going to be much more <laughs> that's that's my feeling because i mean it's slide film i mean i don't know the prices off the top of my head but i know fuji slide film is is more expensive than their negative right am maybe i right like, i'm sure yeah, maybe close to like 10 bucks a roll instead of five yeah, yeah. i'm sure sh- i'm sure somebody on the internet will correct me um but uh, but yeah it's just i've always i've always perceived slide film as being much more expensive than the negative yeah, and more expensive to develop. <laughs> and more expensive to develop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's exciting. I'm excited for Ektachrome to come back. Yeah. Even though yeah. you can still buy expired rolls and it's just like new. Yeah. You know, one of the first rolls I, I ever shot on a medium format camera was expired slide. It was E100, which I'm not sure if that if E100 and Ektachrome are the same thing. I have no idea, um, but it was Kodak E100 on a Bronica um, in one of those SQ 6x6, and I didn't have a light meter, so I totally guessed the exposures. I used Sunny 16, and um, they, you know, some of them came out over, some of them came out under, but I was I was pretty close on my guesses, um, and it was it was it turned out to be really beautiful stuff. Did the colors shift at all to like blue? Yeah. There was a there was a there was a pretty heavy shift. I want to say that the shift was more um, like in magenta, like reds, like heavy reds. Um, and uh, uh, I think the film had lost a little bit of sensitivity, so the um, the contrast wasn't great. But it scanned really well. I mean, you could definitely tell it was expired because uh, there was a color shift, but it scanned pretty well, and there was a lot of detail. Yeah, it seems like those films will go either way, like very blue or magenta. I've had that too when I've shot those films. They had a couple of variations of the E100, which I believe was Ektachrome, but the internet is going to have to be the judge here. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I don't have Google at my fingertips at the moment. I, otherwise, I'd be Googling on the down low so I you know, can pretend to know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they had like 100G, 100VS, which the VS I bought some of on... Uh, 
eBay at one point, but I don't even know where it went. I think it might be in the fridge. <laughs> you know, I got it, and I was just like, oh, I'm not really excited about this anymore. It'll go where the rest goes. <laughs> yeah. It's just our society, you know. It'll go in the storage locker. <laughs> I know. I know. That's that's another big problem is I had such a huge huge backlog of film a lot of it is expired which honestly i'm getting a little tired of expired film i've been shooting so much of it for so long that um you know one of my main motivators for shooting personally right now is documenting my kids growing up so when i shoot some expired film and it just you know it turns out not great you know even even if i compensate for you know, the number of years it's been exposed, you know, if it, if it turns out not great or if it's just generally not predictable, then I get a little bummed out because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to have an archive, build an archive of, of my kids and my family growing. So the unpredictability of expired film these days is, um, is not exciting me as much as it used to. Yeah. When you get a picture back and it's magenta (laughs) and all grain, Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, when, when it's when the color shift is so bad and the and the grain is so bad that like even even making some adjustments, you know, can't quite save it. You know, that's that's a little sad to me. Yeah. Expired film is fun. You know, I guess if you're going to go shoot the same stuff, if you're not really inspired, then you can get pictures that look different <laughs> and you never really know how they're going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it can absolutely be a lot of fun if you're, if you're open to the, it's unpredictable nature. Um, so, uh, you know, that's what I, what I love about it is the same thing that I, that I hate about it. You know, now that my, um, now that my, I guess my motivation for shooting is a little different today than it was say 10 years ago or five years ago. Yeah, I recently bought a bunch of rolls of Fuji Superior 100 in 120, and I bought some Fuji Extra 400 in 120, but I haven't shot that yet, and I was expecting it to just be like all green and like look really rough, but it didn't. It looked like brand new. It was awesome and perfect, and it's not like I'm going to extra lengths to store that film. Mm-hmm. It's just like give or take, you know, like you don't really know especially if you buy it off eBay and it doesn't always matter if it was cold stored. It could just be fine if it was sitting in somebody's drawer forever. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like the unpredictability, I've shot a lot of expired film that was horrible and I've shot a lot of expired film that was, it was like it was new and then, you know, everything in between, you know, so, but, 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 um, but yeah, it's a nice surprise when it comes out better than you thought it would. Um, I love that film by the way, that, that, superior 400 that's one of my most favorite films of all time that's the stuff i grew up with so whenever i think of film and the way it looks and the way you know the density of the negatives and 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 like that superior is what i have in my mind's eye of of what film should look like that's so funny because for me that film is kodak golds yeah that's a very close second um you know but but uh, but yeah that kodak gold is is beautiful stuff and i shoot kodak gold to this day um but uh, but yeah just kind of growing up uh, it, it would always be whatever was cheapest and it was always the fuji <laughs> that that was the cheapest so i don't know why but with my family it was always the kodak disposable cameras the golds you know like with it 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I've shot, my family has shot so many, so many disposable cameras. Yeah. And they're still in the drugstores today, but what they want for them is insane. Like the prices I've seen at CVS for cameras or for film is crazy. It, it really is. I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's like I'm on vacation and I don't have a camera, so I guess I have to pay $15 for this one disposable camera, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that happened to me in the city recently, too. And I was actually in Chinatown, so there were places you could get film. But, again, what they were charging for film was just, like, crazy. Because for some mm -hmm. reason I thought, like, oh, I'm going to only bring three rolls to the city. Then I shot them all, and then I was like, oh, I need more. And B&H is closed because... They have, you know, they follow Jewish holidays and sh yeah. uh, Shabbat, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, so that was a no-go. But, uh, yeah, it's just because it's because they can, because it, they figure somebody doesn't have something or ran out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like like us when we go in, <laughs> into the city and don't bring enough film. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to definitely talk to you about your business, Shoot Film Co., Which, uh, last time that was probably the first thing we talked about. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Shoot Film Co. I started it, um, in 2015. I make, um, patches, stickers, pins. Uh, what else, what else do I make? Oh, t-shirts, hats, stuff like that. It's all, it's all just spreading the message and, and the love of film photography. Um, and, um, most, well, not most recently, but most most popularly, uh, I make these what I call a photo memo notebooks that are for film photographers. They've got, you know, little like pre-designed fields that are most common, you know, for film photographers like camera, lens type, film type. Um, and, uh, you know, it all just started as as my love for film. And in fact, when I first started it, I just I made one patch. I made 25 of them for my friends. And like the reason I chose the quantity of 25 was getting 25 was less expensive than getting 24 of them. There was like a per piece price break and it was, it was less money in total to get 25 patches made than it was to get 24. So I just gave them away to friends and stuff. Um, you, you know, I had made really the design for myself, uh, and I gave them away to friends and within a couple of days, you know, my friends started telling me like, Hey, my buddy saw this patch. He wants one now. And just a little over a week later, they were all gone. So I just figured, you know, I, I think I might be on to something. I'm going to make some more. I'm going to do up some some more designs. And, you know, the rest is the rest is history. I've been I've been going at it ever since. The rest definitely is history. I was thinking about that. Uh, story again this morning when I was kind of preparing for this because like I said last time you know there are two ways to go into it you can either prepare or not prepare and Larry King does not prepare Larry King just goes in with a fresh mind and asks whatever he thinks about but I was like oh this time I'm gonna think about some stuff more so <laughs> what do you think shoot film would be like without the internet or social media would you still have done it it would be absolutely nothing without internet or social I media. Mean, you could take out an advertisement and pop photo if there was no internet or social media, and then people could like mail it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what that is such a interesting question because it it one it, it probably wouldn't 
have a need to exist were it not for digital and social media. You know, it's kind of it's almost like a reaction to the fact that all our pictures or many of the majority of our pictures exist in, in, in a digital format in social media. It's it's a response to that. So that's a great question. I honestly think it would it would be not. I don't, I don't think it would exist if it wasn't for digital so and social media. It it, it exists because of it and in many ways in spite of it, I guess. That's an amazing question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just just one of my thoughts this morning. <laughs> but um I wanted to hear kind of a little a little bit more about the process of like what where you get these ideas cuz some of them are so cool. I mean, not that I'm saying not all of them are, but I'm thinking specifically about the one that's like Frankenstein. Oh, holding the uh holding the the camera, holding like the rangefinder. Yeah, what does it say? Either uh film, uh, is, not film dead. is film is alive. Film oh, is alive. Okay. Kind of a play on the, you know, Frankenstein's monster, it's alive thing. Um you know, I just growing growing up, I was a graphic designer growing up, like coming out of coming out of um high school, that's what I studied. I have um a history in commercial print. I worked for a bunch of um well, not a bunch, but a, a few commercial print shops. Um and so I just have always had a background in the graphic arts. And so for many, many years, I would just – I always kept sketchbooks or little notebooks or just even scraps of paper or whatever um, where I had all kinds of sketches and ideas. And and you know that's kind of – that's how I come up with anything. It's just these ideas flow and I keep a list of them. Um, and in fact, just last night, I thought of what my next Halloween series is going to be just last night while watching um, a horror movie with my wife. So it just kind of came to me like a bolt of lightning, but you know, it went on the long list of ideas. So the inspirations really come from anywhere. You know, I'll think of a funny little rhyme that works or just some funny little saying that works and it just goes on the list. And eventually I'll work that idea out. I'll sketch it out or I'll draw it out in illustrator or whatever. And, um, it just, uh, over time it'll, it'll get made. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because I have no skills when it comes to drawing or talent, even if I've had ideas. Like, I've had ideas in the past, and I have a notebook here, and it's very sad. Like, nobody will ever see <laughs> the trying to draw, like, rolls of film and stuff. Um, but so many of the ideas that I've had, somebody else has made. <laughs> well, yeah. you know what? You know what? The, this stuff, I've been drawing pictures and making little notes literally for decades. And it's only in the past couple of years that that stuff has come out and seen the light of day. So, you know, I mean, don't stop, you know, just just keep doing it because, you know, something something one day will will work for you, you know. And, and like I said, I even without Shoot Film Co., I'd be drawing these silly little doodles and stuff and sharing them with my friends. And uh, I have a pastime with my friend where any any silly thing that we think of, we'll, we'll make a logo for it. So, uh, you know, and we'll just share it with each other. So sometimes these things are seen by one person. Sometimes these things are seen by zero people. And, you know, um, it just, I have years and years of stuff that has never seen the light of day. It just, I just kind of kept going with it. Yeah. And, you know, you've got some ideas for the, ho the next Halloween. Is it a pin, a patch? So I'm not even sh I'm just not even sure yet. I just thought of what it's going to say and I thought of the general 
direction it's going to take. But, you know, hopefully it's it's likely going to be a pin patch T-shirt, I think, now that I'm thinking through it, because I literally came up with this idea 12 hours ago. So now that I've had a cup of coffee and I'm awake, I'm, I'm thinking probably pin patch T-shirt <laughs> and a sticker. You heard it first, guys. <laughs> yeah, break. This is breaking news. This is breaking news. Let's get uh, let's get CNN on the phone. Fake news, <laughs> right? The, the, some, fake some news f- media. <laughs> fa- <laughs> yeah, this, get this fake news out there right away. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you make it sound so easy, like oh, you have an idea, you draw it, and then go into Illustrator, and then you know, have it made brought to life and then put it on social media for the masses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it is easy. And at the same time, it isn't because I've got for every, for every workable idea I have, I have maybe 15 or 20 bad ones that will never work, you know, and, or, or maybe I'll combine five bad ideas and they'll eventually work into something that might work. Uh, you know, so, so yeah, there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of, um, you know, it's not like every idea makes it out into the world. Like I said, I've got a list of hundreds of things. And, you know, I think on that list, there's maybe six or seven that may work, (laughs) you know, so a lot of, a lot of thought kind of goes into, into, into behind that. But, you know, once something takes off, you know, there's, you, you know, I just get it drawn up and, you know, I, as is my nature, I'll, uh, I will slave over it for weeks just because I think, you know, something's not right. Or even when something is finished, I'll sit on it for another couple of weeks because I'm unsure about it. Um, and then it'll eventually make it into production. I was just thinking, cause I was laughing this morning when I was thinking about this, about how we were talking about like the best times to post on social media as a mm-hmm. joke, <laughs> you know? So like when you take the pictures for Instagram, of the products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you never know. You know, I, I mean, I, I stopped concerning m- myself with that best time and the algorithms and stuff. And, you know, just because it be- – I feel like it's something that you can't really keep up with. You, you know, and, and now it's just like whatever. If, I, if I'm inspired and I've got a scene in front of me or I, I'll create a scene with – with some products, you know, I'll just post it up right there, even if it's 11 o'clock at night or two in the morning or if it's you know not the best time, according to some expert, whoever that expert happens to be that day of Instagram's or Facebook's algorithms. You know, it's just like just just get it out there. Just get it out there. The thing the thing that's going to stop you the most is, you know, is is your own doubts of is this the best time to do it? So. You know, I just now I look at it as there is no best. The best time is right now. Just if you think of something to post, just post it. Yeah. And that's great advice because we would have so little if people didn't do that. You know, I mean, people who create content and who create things, if they didn't just release it, like you'd never know. Like, do people like this? Does this make a difference in anybody's life? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, again, like the, that biggest that biggest hurdle is your doubt of like you said, will are people going to like it? Are people going to care is now the right time is now, is this the right thing? And you know, nobody can answer those questions. 
You know, the, the only, the only, the only thing that'll answer that question really is if, is yourself, is if you just, just put it out there and if it works, it works. If not, it doesn't, then you just go back to the drawing board. And that's just with any creative endeavor, you know, with photography, with illustration, with writing, you know, you just, you just have to keep putting the work out there. You know, there's this misconception that like, you know, okay, I'm into photography. I just bought my first camera. I'm going to put my first pictures up there and then I'm going to be selling prints for hundreds of dollars, you know, by this time tomorrow. (laughs) But the thing is, it just, I mean, we both know it doesn't work that way. It takes for a lot of people that never happens, you know, for a lot of other people, it takes many years. But, you know, the whole key thing is that you just you just have to keep putting that work out. Yeah, and it's incredibly difficult. It's funny that you should mention selling prints because it's incredibly difficult to do that. But I think about like content creators, you know, I mean, anybody, you could take it from like Casey Neistat or anybody Mm -hmm. who creates things and puts them out on the internet. They're spending their whole day creating. They're not spending their whole day on the internet. That's the difference because people now are so addicted to social media that, you know, it's hurting people more than it's helping them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's such a, a there's so much gray area in that. And and Casey Neistat's a great example. Like you said, he's 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 literally creating all day and he's creating stuff that is easy for people to consume as as to where with, you know, when you sell a print and you sell it for however much you sell it for, that's that's not the easiest thing to consume for somebody to put down money on a print. It's got to really speak to them. And and it's got to really affect them to where they pull out their wallet and buy this one print or this series of prints or this this book from you. You know, it's not a photography is easy to consume in, in as much as like you can flip through a gallery on the Internet at your leisure for free. But when you start introducing prints and books into the thing, it's just it becomes less easy to consume. Yeah, definitely. And I think that people have a higher chance with like zines or books than they do with a single print because then people could see more of, I guess you could say the value because you get Mm -hmm. like, you can look at like 40 or 50 or 100 pictures of somebody's rather than just one. It's so difficult, you know, to make it happen. It, it it really is. It really is like in like uh, another great example that you're using is zines and books. You know, zines are zines are being their inexpensive and imperfect nature and they're easy to consume it's 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 far more likely that somebody's going to put five or ten dollars down on a zine which is you know i mean zines are not meant to be artistic masterpieces you know they're meant to be which i'm not saying they can't be because there are i think there are some that are just wonderful artistically, but they're they're meant to be fast and expensive. Um, they're meant to just be, you know, they're just meant to be put out there. They were like the zines were kind of like the Instagram of of when I was a teenager in the '90s. You know, it's like we needed. I wanted to get some stuff out there. I wanted to get it out there cheaply. I wanted to get it into my friends' hands, and so you know, the zine was the way to go. As to where, if I make a, you know, a a 16 inch or a a 20 inch or, you know, just a giant print and I try to sell it for a certain amount of money, there's going to be less likelihood that one person is going to be interested in that and, and will be willing to, to pay me for that. Yeah. 
And, you know, I mean, with the internet, everything, you know, I don't know the statistics of how many images is posted per minute, but, you know, it's great in a lot of ways that we've come so far, we've advanced so far, whereas before you had to have prints and have a nice portfolio and bring it somewhere to show people your pictures or sit in a living room and show your family a slideshow. And now every second. <laughs> you know. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is, I think there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And I agree with you. I think where we've come is amazing that I can, I can Google any photographer and I can consume essentially their entire body of work in the next five minutes, you know, and it, it didn't used to be like that. It used to be a much more What's the word? A, a cherished experience. It was a rare experience. Experience where you know uh, you want to see this photographer's body of work. You go to a museum, or you go to you go to wherever they're having their show for the weekend, um, or you meet them in person and they have a portfolio with them. So you know we're just bombarded with these images, and while it is a great tool, it's made that experience less special, I guess. And I always wonder, like, 10, 20, 30 years from now, what's going to be, like, in the galleries from now that we have not seen on Instagram or in Time or in the New York Times or wherever else fine pictures are, you know, <laughs> posted? Like, what could be, you know? Yeah. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, technology is having – it's moving at such a fast pace. I mean, are, are we going to be walking through – like virtual reality museums, you know, with with like implants in our eyes or our brains or whatever. Who <laughs> who knows where that technology is going? It's 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 crazy, and it it excites me. But at the same time, I'm I'm wary of it because I don't know, you know, you you never know how something impacts a society, whether it's positive or negative. Exactly, and I think this is, um, you know, a good place to wrap it up. Uh, Let's see. So I like to end, you know, with something, I guess you could say educational. I guess what advice would you give to the people listening about anything photography related, film related, life related? <laughs> uh, if if you want to make a living from anything or if you, you know, if you're involved, even if you don't want to make a living and you are passionate about passionate about a creative endeavor, you have to you have to put the work out. You know, making making one book or making a few prints, that is probably not going to launch your career. It's going to be the beginning of it. So, you know, you have to keep doing it. Like once you're done making your book, you have to start working on your next book. You know, so just just keep doing that. Once you have a hundred sketches in your note your notepad or your sketchbook or whatever, um, you know, you you've got to you've got to create a lot of stuff if you want to to kind of be out there with it. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good advice. Definitely more so creating, create and consume less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, create and consume less. And I'll, I'll be honest. I'm a, I, I'm a consumer. Like I like to consume things. I like to look at books. I like to follow other photographers. I like to follow other illustrators and designers. So I consume like crazy, but as long as, you know, don't let your consumption, if, if you fancy yourself a creative, don't let your consumption get in the way of your, of your creation. So just, just keep, keep doing it. You know, Vivian, Vivian Meyer, she took how many hundreds of thousands of photos 
Um, and you know, we discovered her only decades later after, after her prime, you know, because she put out a ton of work. This has been another episode of the With a Camera podcast. I'm your host, Kristen. I can be found on social media at Kristen with a camera. If you or someone you know would like to be a part of this podcast, please hit me up on social media. If you liked this, please subscribe wherever podcasts are streamed. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Get out there and shoot. Shoot.